Guardian Unlimited. Now for a quieter moment, questions to the Prime Minister. Dr Ashok Kumar. Number one, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, sir, uh, before listening my engagements, I, I know the whole House would want to join with me in paying our tribute to Lance Corporal James Cartwright of Badger Squadron's 2nd Royal Tank Regiment, who died in a vehicle accident while on active operation in Iraq on Saturday night, and we send our sympathy and condolences to his family and to his friends. And, Mr Speaker, may I also say how sad the whole House will be to learn of the death of Piara Cabra, uh, who passed away yesterday. As his many friends on all sides of this House know, he was a tireless campaigner, particularly on the issues of international development and racial equality. He was a tremendous servant to his constituents. We all remember him. I remember often answering questions from just the row uh, behind me there now. And he will be greatly missed, and our thoughts and prayers are with his family at this time. Mr. Speaker, sir, this morning I have meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will have further such meetings later today. Dr. Kumar. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I associate myself with Prime Minister's expression of condolences and also join with him in paying tribute to my very dear friend, the Honourable Member for Ealing Southall. He was a friend for a long time and he was a dedicated servant of the people. Mr. Speaker, my right honourable friend has been a great champion uh, of spirit, creating a great spirit of multiculturalism and campaigning against anti-racism. In all the years that I have known him, no other Prime Minister has, has been able to deliver with the spirit that he has done so, and I praise him for all the campaigns. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, as we approach the 60th anniversary of Indian independence, there are one million people in this country of Indian origin who has made a great contribution to this country. Will he join with me in praising their contribution and their achievements? And finally, in the ten years, in the ten years... I think it's particularly appropriate in the way that my, my honourable friend asks that question after the sad news about Piara Cabra. And can I obviously endorse entirely what he says about the tremendous contribution made by the Indian community in this country, one million of them, but also say that the state of the relationship between the UK today and India has never been stronger, I think, and it's, it's a, a, a wonderful example of how our relationships with countries can change over the years. Uh, there are now around about 20,000 Indian students in this country today, which is also a major increase in the numbers coming to study here. We are the third largest investor in India today, and I can see our relationship only getting stronger in the years to come. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Lance Corporal James Cartwright, who was killed in southern Iraq. And I also join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Piara Cabra. He served his constituents energetically and enthusiastically for 15 years, and he'll be sadly missed both in this House and in Ealing. This week, we have the scandal of the Prime Minister, in his last few days in office, opening the prison gates and releasing 25,000 prisoners onto our streets. Can the Prime Minister tell us when he was first warned that the prison population would go over 80,000? Um, first of all, let me explain what is actually happening. Uh, there, is a, there is, as a result of the fact, as a result of the fact that we have exceeded even the top end projection for the numbers of people in prison, that projection having been made last year, 
then there is a requirement for us to release prisoners early 18 days before the end of their sentence, 18 days in other words before they would have been released anyway, in order as a temporary measure whilst the new prison places are being built to ensure that we do not breach the regulations in relation to prison conditions. I regret having to do so but we have to do it. Why is that having to be done? Because first of all, the numbers of people in prison has risen dramatically as a result of a 25% increase in sentencing. Secondly, under this government, we are now recalling people who breach their license conditions, and there's 5,000 extra in prison as a result of it. And thirdly, because we now have almost 3,000 people in prison on indeterminate sentences for violent and sexual offences. When we build the new prison places, as we're now going to do a further 8,000 with another 1,500, we can retrieve this situation. I regret having had to do it, but it was necessary to do it. I asked the Prime Minister a very simple question. When did he first know the prison population was going to go over 80,000? The truth is that the Prime Minister was told in 2002, five years ago, by the Home Office, that the prison population this year was projected to be not 80,000, but 88,000. That was five years ago. Why did this government so comprehensively fail to act in response to this warning? Because, as I've just explained to him, the projection that we got last year at around this time because we deal with this on a year-by-year basis. The projection that we got last year was a projection that we have exceeded and exceeded now. Therefore, we have to take this temporary measure. But let's be absolutely clear about this. The reason why there are more people in prison than ever before is because under this government there are tougher sentences, particularly for violent and dangerous criminals, and there are 20,000 more prison places. We're now going to build an extra 9,500 on top of that. And most important of all, crime is down under this government as a result of the measures we've taken. And incidentally, the most serious violent crime is down over 20% in the last year. Now, the truth is that those indeterminate sentences were introduced by the Criminal Justice Act of 2003. And as I've said many times, he and his party refused to support it and voted against it. It is true we will have to take this measure as a temporary measure, and I hope it is very temporary, but it is important to recognise that under this government, prison places are up and crime is down. When the Prime Minister tells us he looks at this on a year-by-year basis, this tells me all, all we need to know. There was a complete failure of planning. They were told about this five years ago. And I have to say, while he's on the Criminal Justice Act 2003, I checked the record, and I think we'll find the Prime Minister and I voted the same way. I didn't support the Act because I don't believe in letting people out of prison halfway through their sentence. He didn't support the Act because he couldn't be bothered to turn up. just that they weren't thinking of this five years ago, they weren't thinking of this a month ago. Last month, the Justice Secretary said this, I am not going to announce early releases because of prison overcrowding. Any early releases, no, it's simply wrong. Why on earth did he say that? First of all, let me just make clear on the Criminal Justice Act. Oh, yeah. The Tory party voted against the Criminal Justice Act. The fact he didn't he didn't turn up on vote on it doesn't alter that fact. And the reason why we have more people in prison today is because the tough measures that we have introduced for violent and sexual offenders, which he and his party opposed, have put more people in prison. Now, I have said already I regret having to take this as a temporary measure, but we are now going to be building an extra 9,500 prison places. And let me just point out that not merely did the Tory party vote against the tougher measures, 
they also voted against the extra investment in prison places. So the one group of people we're not going to take lessons from on this is him and his party. I'm glad the Prime Minister mentioned the money because I've been back and checked that too. Let's look at the five years since 2002. In 2002, the Home Office budget was 14 billion. In 2003, it was 13 billion. In 2004, it was 13 billion. There wasn't any extra money, and the person responsible is sitting next to him. the Prime Minister again. The Justice Secretary said one month ago that any early release system was simply wrong. Why did he say that? First of all, let me just point out. He said investment in prisons has not gone up. It has gone up 35% in real terms. Right. So when he gets to his feet again, let him apologise for saying that investment in prisons has gone up has not gone up, it has gone up, and his party voted against the budget measure that introduced it. Secondly, in relation to um, the reasons for introducing this, we have said again and again that it is important that we make sure we deal with violent and sexual offenders most severely. That is why there are 3,000 people in prison today on indeterminate sentences. If his party had had that way, those people wouldn't have been there. Well, things have come to a bit of a pass when the Prime Minister won't even defend his own flatmate. So I put the question, I put it to him again. The Justice Secretary said one month ago that any early release system was simply wrong. Why did he make that statement? Because we have hoped for a long time to avoid a situation where we had to do this. But we have had to do it because, as I said to him already... The projections for the prison population that we do on a year-by-year basis have been exceeded even at the top end, and I've said I regret having to do that. However, as a result of the measures that were announced yesterday and also announced by the Chancellor in the Budget, we will now have an extra 9,500 prison places. We will be able to make sure that this is a temporary measure, and most important of all, as I say, The reason why violent crime is falling and crime is coming down is that we have more investment in prisons, more investment in police and tougher measures, many of which the Tory party voted against. We've had foreign criminals who were let out when they should have been deported and now he plans to release more prisoners this year than the entire prison population of Australia. Ten years ago he told us he'd be tough on crime. Now he's releasing 25,000 criminals onto our streets. Shouldn't he just this once apologise for what can only be described as an abject failure to deliver? Let Let me just remind him that when we came to power in 1997, crime had doubled. When we came to power in 1997, there were no proper plans for making sure we had the money to invest in our prison system. I entirely accept, and I've said already, I regret very much having to take the measures on early release. However, over the ten years of this government, we have reduced crime, we have managed to increase the number of police officers, we've introduced antisocial behaviour, and we've got 20,000 extra prison places. When we compare the 18 years of a government that doubled crime with the 10 years of this government, it's clear who people should vote for on law and order. Mr Speaker, I wonder whether the Prime Minister had read an article in this morning's Financial Times in which someone called Lord Harris is quoted in a conversation, I understand Lord Harris owns several uh, academy schools, he's quoted in a conversation, I have a very good relationship with Andrew Adonis. He rings me up and says, do you want this school? And I ask, what's it like? 
And if it sounds like the sort of place we're interested in, I say yes. Does the Prime Minister believe this language, this exchange, is appropriate to people charged with looking after the education of young people? Or does he think it's more appropriate to the language of 21st century spivs? Yeah. Um, look. <laughs> I mean, as he knows, um, as he knows, I've only, I've only got a week to go and I, I, I'm not keen on the, on making too many more enemies, but I've got to say to him that, that I'm, it's, I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to be doubly bad for him on this. First of all, I think that Lord Adonis has done a superb job in the City Academy programme. Secondly, I have to say about Lord Harris, even though he is from a different political party, that as a result of the work he's done in education, not least in Peckham, he has given the opportunity for some of the poorest kids in the country to get a decent education for the first time. And so I think if the two are having an exchange about how we improve our education system and give opportunity to kids that don't presently have it, I think it's, I think it's a good idea for both of them. May I associate myself the Prime Minister's expressions of sympathy and condolence and his generous tribute to Piara Cabra. Does the uh, let the right honourable gentleman speak. Does the Prime Minister believe that it's right for private equity executives to pay tax at a lower rate than those who clean their offices? Well, it is uh, precisely uh, because of the concerns over whether people are paying an appropriate level of tax that there is a review set up that will report around the time of the uh, pre-budget report later this year. Um, although I think it is important to distinguish that uh, particular question, which I think is perfectly legitimate to raise, um, with condemning all the work that private equity companies do, because I don't think that would be right at all. Uh, but in relation to the point that he raises, yes, of course, people have concerns about this. It's exactly why we said we will look into it uh, in a sensible and serious way and reflect on what we can do. The Mingus Campbell is taking place. We're giving a tax break of £6 billion per annum to some of the wealthiest people in the United Kingdom. Would it not be much more fair to give tax cuts to lower and middle income families who have suffered most under this government? Wouldn't that be an illustration of governing for the many and not the few? First of all, I think, you, you know, the, 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 I mean, I know the Liberal Democrats like to say, here's this great pot of gold that's waiting there to redistribute to the families of the country. It's just nonsense, incidentally. Uh, however, there are real issues here that have been raised, and they've been raised, incidentally, right across the political spectrum. They've been raised, actually, by sensible people within the private equity field itself. The serious way of approaching this is to examine these claims, to look at them carefully, and to deal with it in the pre-budget report, and that is what, very sensibly, the Chancellor is doing. Eric Marlow, the Speaker, can I, I say, thank my right honourable friend for keeping the promise that he made to me on January the 8th, 2005. That was the day that my constituency was devastated by, by, by floods. And during our telephone conversation, he said that monies would be available to build flood defences to protect the people of Carla. £30 million was made available and those, they are being constructed. But however, when the problems we've seen today in the south of England and with the problems of global warming and uh, climate change, is he convinced that following the comprehensive spending review there will be enough monies available to protect other communities from the devastation that we suffered in Carlisle? Well, I think I, 
I mean, the point that my uh, honourable friend raises is a perfectly uh, reasonable one, but that is one of the reasons why we're, we're committed to spending an additional £600 million in this financial year on our coastal defences. And I should say to the House that since um, 1997, we have invested some £4 billion in coastal defences. It's an indication of how, over time, as a result of the changing climate, countries are going to have to invest very large sums of money in uh, protecting ourselves against uh, the changing weather that we see. But I entirely agree with what my honourable friend says, and I can assure him this will obviously form a very significant and serious part of the comprehensive spending settlement. When the Prime Minister referred to the Chancellor as the big clunking fist, was it a term of endearment, or was it based on bitter personal experience? (laughs) Actually, I I, I fear if I can say to the... uh, I fear if I can say to the, uh, the, the honourable gentleman that the bitter experience will be felt on that side of the House once it gets going. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend will recall meeting representatives of Mountain Rescue England and Wales on the 14th of March this year. May I ask if he will find time during his uh, final days in office to review their request for public funding similar to that available in Scotland and if he is unable to resolve the issue, will he ensure that the request is in the in-tray for our uh, right honourable friend, the member for Kirkcaldy and uh, Calvin Peake? Well, I can assure um, my honourable friend, as I explained to them when when I met them, that I I will take a close interest in this right up to the uh, time of my departure and it is a very live issue that we are considering. Rob Wilson. Prime Minister, Reading's increasingly congested roads are becoming a major constraint to economic success. We urgently need a third Thames Bridge and north-south bypass. While Reading chokes, the local authorities are spending their time squabbling with each other. Will the Prime Minister help me sort out these squabbling neighbours? Well, I mean... First of all, I should say that, that, that I do understand uh, the, the, the Honourable Gentleman's concern and, and the desire for the new road crossing. The, the trouble is, as he also knows, there, there is a, a dispute. He called it a squabble, but unfortunately the view that he's expressed is apparently not shared by some of the local authorities. And the trouble is, in the end, this is going to have to be resolved at a local level. I know that the Department for Transport is also engaged in this. I'm sure they will do everything they can to mediate. But in the end... In order to do this, of course, there's going to have to be local agreement to get it done. Gordon Banks. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, my right honourable friend will be aware that since being elected to this House, I've been campaigning for formal recognition on behalf of the Bevan boys and the role they, the role they played in our World War II success to defeat Nazism. In January, the Prime Minister acknowledged the, the role of this and said he would move towards some kind of formal recognition for these brave men. Can he tell me and tell the House today whether this is something we will be able to bring to conclusion before he leaves office next week? Well, first of all, let me congratulate uh, my honourable friend for, for the campaign that he has mounted in order to um, give some recognition to the Bevan boys and the extraordinary work they did in World War II, without which uh, our war effort would have been seriously hindered. Um, and yes, we are going to have a special commemorative badge for the Bevan boys. Um, we will announce that later today, and I think it will give uh, them some recognition for the tremendous work that they've done, the sense of gratitude that the country owes to them, and why it is a very, very good idea that on this day we commemorate their work. 
when the uh, when the Chancellor uh, said he wants to see Britain governed in a different way and government to be more open and accountable, what does the Prime Minister think he meant? I'm sure that over uh, the course of my right honourable friend's premiership, he will want to carry on changes that, in fact, we have been making. For example, we have now a Freedom of Information. We have now a Freedom of Information Act that we never had before. We have devolution that we've never had before. We've got a, a London Assembly and London Mayor that we've, uh, that we've not had before. So I am sure that these changes will continue over the years. And fortunately, in these circumstances, in these circumstances, this is one that I can happily leave to him. Lynn Jones. Crime has been falling over many years. Why is it that there are huge increases in the number of people in prison, including women in prison? Does my right honourable friend now agree with the former leader of the Tory party that prison works? I've never agreed that in itself uh, prison is the thing that works. But what I do have to say to my honourable friend is that where, for example, there are people who are committing violent offences or are a threat or danger to the public, it's important that they are in prison if that's what the court feels is appropriate. And the reason why there are more people in prison is that the sentences have been getting tougher. And I mentioned just a moment or two ago the over 5,000 people that are now in prison who've been recalled to prison as a result of the breach of their licensing conditions. In 1997, I think the figure was around about 200. People would breach their conditions out on parole and nothing would happen to them. Nowadays, it does. But that's one reason why the most serious violent crime has fallen by over 20% in the last year. And if we look at those crime uh, partnership areas where crime has been highest, and we've been in 44 of those areas, a specific focus has, has come on them, crime has fallen the last year in those areas by 7% or more, and violent crime again particularly. So in the end, I'm afraid, we have to protect the public first, and that's what we're doing. Alfred Kermakel. Last Saturday, uh, a 23-year-old man was lost at sea in my constituency when his small boat overturned in Hoy Sound. Two months ago, eight Norwegian seamen lost their lives when the Bourbon Dolphin capsized and sank 85 miles off Shetland. In both these cases, as in so many others, the role of the Maritime Coast Guard Agency in coordinating the search and rescue was absolutely crucial and very much appreciated. Will the Prime Minister, in the time that remains to him, knock some heads together amongst the senior management of that agency to ensure that the industrial dispute which is currently part of that is resolved and the Coast Guards are paid the money they're deserved? Or is it going to wait until things get so bad that the dispute escalates and lives are lost? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm sure that the whole House will join with the... Uh, Honourable gentleman, in sending our condolences to the family of, of his constituent who, who died. Um, secondly, let me say to him that, of course, we regret the fact that this dispute is going on. Thirdly, I will certainly and happy to look into it and correspond with him about it. And obviously, we want the Maritime Service returned to, to full strength as quickly as possible. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Over the years, the Prime Minister has visited my constituency on a number of occasions. Uh, Why? Why? Some, some of them more memorable than others. But the last time he came, he visited a lift scheme, a two million investment at Woodgate Valley Primary Care Centre. That is one of 200 lift schemes across the country. Does he agree that that is real investment in the NHS, real commitment to our pensions? Patients, compared to the kind of half-baked ideas we get from the people opposite. 
Well, I do recall uh, the lift scheme of my honourable friend's constituency, um, and that is one of many, many schemes, over 100 uh, up and down the country. There are something like 2,500 GP premises that have been renovated. And I can tell the House today that in 1997, 50% of the NHS estate was older than the NHS itself. Today, that figure is 20%. And as a result of that massive capital investment, waiting times are falling. We are also able to provide the most up-to-date equipment for our constituency. And I totally deprecate the policy of the party opposite, which is to scrap the target for the 18-week maximum, average of 7 and 18 weeks, for, for treatment in the NHS. That would be a disastrous and retrograde step, and we will keep to those targets and make sure we deliver on them. Thank you, Mr. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Since taking office, there's been more investment in schools, local health services have been protected, and young families have benefited from more free nursery care all by the new SNP government. Will the Prime Minister congratulate the First Minister on these excellent developments? I think what I prefer to do is to say that the only reason why any investment is able to be made of any scale at all is because my right honourable friend has run the most effective economy in this country for 30 years or more. And the reason why we're able to invest in health, in education, is not because of the economic policies of the SNP, but because of the sensible policies of this Labour Chancellor. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Today, um, Mr Speaker, um, World Refugee Day is being marked across the globe. Will the Prime Minister join me in praising the refugee awareness projects being run by Refugee Action in Bristol, Nottingham and Liverpool for their work in going into local communities, challenging the many myths and media distortions around refugees and asylum seekers and helping those refugees who have genuinely fled persecution in their homelands find a safe haven in this country? Well, I entirely agree with what my honourable friend says and, and the government is making a, a financial commitment actually to uh, the Refugee Week and to supporting it. And I think we should be very clear that even as it is right that we reduce the number of unfounded asylum claims and that we make sure that only genuine asylum seekers can come in and claim asylum here, nonetheless this country should always be open to those who are genuine refugees fleeing from tyranny and this country has a very proud record of doing so and I'm sure will continue to do so. Andrew Mackay. As there might just be some misunderstandings in the next few weeks, uh, would the Prime Minister agree with his old friend and ex-Downing Street aide Baroness Morgan when on radio this week she said of the Chancellor that he was, and I quote, really involved in the nitty-gritty of how to phrase the argument and it made a difference. Is that actually the role that the Chancellor played in Iraq? Um. The position on Iraq was the position, obviously, of the whole government, and I happen to believe that in removing Saddam and now in standing up against those people who would, by terrorism, prevent democracy flourishing in Iraq, I think we are doing the right thing. And I would pay tribute to the support my right honourable friend has provided for that. It is important that those people who are fighting us in Iraq understand that this is a position that is one of the entire government, and I'm sure they do. I'm Snellgrove. Mr Speaker, is my right honourable friend able to use his influence over the case of baby Sebastian, born to my constituent Samantha Lowry in Texas and abducted nine at the age of nine weeks to Mexico uh, by her estranged and unstable partner? Does he agree with me that the best place for Sebastian is with his mother, who was best breastfeeding him, and would he use his influence with the Mexican government to get the case treated as soon as possible? Yeah. Well, first of all, can I 
say to my honourable friend that I'm aware of the case and I sympathise with Samantha and her family. And I can assure my honourable friend that full consular support is being provided to the family from the UK consular staff in Houston and in Mexico City. And we are in touch also with the FBI on this case. We are ready to give every support to the US and Mexicans FBI to ensure the safe return of Sebastian. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Will the Prime Minister agree with me that the uh, growth in air travel is something we should all be concerned with, particularly in relation to climate change? And what suggestions does he have to curb that growth? Well, I think, first of all, we've got to be uh, somewhat careful on this because, um, there, you know, for many people, um, there are going to be the opportunities to travel, um, particularly for, for cheap flights that they never had before. And I think we've got to be careful as, as uh, politicians of appearing to say um, that somehow those things which open up opportunity for people are somehow wrong. The best way, however, to deal with aviation is through the European Union emissions trading system. As a result of the work that this government has done, we now have the prospect of aviation coming within that trading system that will incentivise business and industry to develop ways of saving on those harmful emissions. But I don't personally believe the way of doing this is to try and, as I think some people in his party have suggested, uh, try to ban domestic travel on aeroplanes and so on. I don't think that's realistic. Mr Speaker, last week my right honourable friend opened the new management centre at Knowsley Community College. Uh, apart from that and uh, 240 extra medical staff in the NHS, a brand new hospital, an 18% increase in GCSE passes, seven new learning centres and halving the rate of unemployment, what's my right honourable friend ever done for Knowsley? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think in addition to that, we've got the minimum wage, uh, paid holidays, um, we've got extra increases in child benefit, we've got all the investment that has gone into to this country over the past few years, and the reason we've been able to invest, as I was saying a moment or two ago, is that we've run a strong economy. My right honourable friend has been the steward of the economy in that time, and it's important always to recognise that for the first time, this Labour government is able to combine a more just and more fair society with a well-functioning and strong economy, and under this government, that is exactly what will continue. Order. Ten-minute rule motion. Guardian Unlimited.